This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Welcome to Brownie and Blue Podcast with your host, MC. That's me. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Brownie and Blue and make sure to check out the Heroes Podcast Network at heroespodcastnetwork.com and follow all the great podcasts that are offered in that network. What's up, brother? What's up, man? Look <laughs> at that. Look at that. Yeah. Good Lord, <laughs> Yeah, bro. A little bit of a little <laughs> bit of goat going on, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh my goodness, man. You look so man. much happier too, bro. Bro, 25 pounds down, blood work infamously clean. <laughs> just good, just everything's a okay, tip top, brother. You look good too, man. Dang, dude, you never age, bro. What's up with you, man? I don't know, man. That's that MS 13 skin. No, I'm just messing with you. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, drinking the blood of your enemies and shit. Dude. <laughs> uh, how you doing, man? How's life what? after after uh, the debacle of uh, what was it? How many? 22 yeah. years? 20, 22 years, yeah. <laughs> Life is life is great, man. I, I bless, bro. I, what can I say? You know what I mean? Yeah. God is good, and you know, fighting a good fight. You know, I ran my race and I'm done. That's awesome, man. It just it, it like uh, it warms me to see you, man. I know. Um, for those listeners, they're probably like, "Ah, oh, come on, let's get on with it." <laughs> but just to yeah, give some you. background, I just want to give some background. I mean, we're already in it, um, Brian. Mm-hmm. But um, I just want to give some background. So. I'm with uh, Brian Gatos, formerly Second Lieutenant Brian Gatos of a department up in uh, Washington, D.C. area, really large department. We used to work together. And Brian was one of, I think you were my first guest on the podcast. And I remember that podcast specifically because you were still working uh, for that department and you're you were at a different place mentally. Um, and I could say physically too. And then now you are how far removed you're retired. How, how, how far removed in retirement from the department? Like a year? Uh, uh, no, uh, four months, bro. Four months. Four months. Wow. Yeah. Four months. Uh, and and it seems like a year. It seems like it's, it's, you're, you're the complete opposite of what, I remember brother. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a, uh, uh, an amazing journey crossing over to the other, other side of the, uh, of the career field to, you know, the civilian world. Um, and, uh, seeing a different aspect working in the private sector now. Um, and, uh, I just, I, I, I couldn't be happier where I'm at, you know, family wise, you know, relationship relationship with the lord uh with my kids my wife just everything man just everything has changed for the better for the positive um and you know there there could be a a number of reasons for that it's just you know basically 
you know, you do 20, 25 years somewhere in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can consider that uh, from my military experience, uh, you know, a police officer, law enforcement agent, sheriff deputy, uh, like a long deployment, you're basically deployed. Your AO is somewhere in the United States on an agency somewhere, large or small, dealing with the worst of humanity and trying to make sense of it all. And then trying to come back home after a shift and live in a normal life. It's like a, it's, it's a 22 year for me, it felt like a 22 year deployment. Wow. I, I like the fact that you talked about the military aspect to it with the deployment, because, you know, it just kind of kicks off how, what I wanted to talk about um, in this podcast. And it's going to be about leadership principles, but the leadership principles is based off of a, a gentleman, uh, Colonel Glover Johns. And um, so just to give a quick background for, for listeners, uh, Colonel Glover Johns, he fought in two wars. But in World War II, he earned three silver stars, two legions of merit and one purple heart. He also lost over 2400 men. That's more than the department, almost double, almost double the department that we we retired from. 2,400 men um, during World War II. At age 19, he took over a battalion that took Omaha Beach in that, in, in one of the greatest, you know, um, what would you say, victories in, in World War II? One of the greatest endeavors of, right. of I think, of any time. Right. So, and then, and then on top of that, he spoke four languages. He spoke French, Bulgarian, Spanish, and German to include his own English. (laughs) So let's say five languages. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, here he is. I mean, it's just an incredibly impressive resume um, with Colonel Glover Johns. You know, one of the things I wanted to bring out to uh, Brian, just real quick and bear with me, just a couple of anecdotes um, for Colonel Glover Johns. One was the 1st Battalion, 115th Infantry Regiment, one of nine battalions in the division, had its commander killed June 7th. The replacement commander was relieved for lack of aggressiveness. (laughs) Major Johns, who is Colonel Glover Johns, without the usual lieutenant colonel rank, was sent to take over the battalion a week after D-Day. Can you imagine that, man? Like, you imagined you being, like, two years on the street, and then all of a sudden they're telling you, hey, man, uh, you're the lieutenant of the, you know, whatever elite unit or whatever unit that's going out there and busting heads. (laughs) What would you feel if they came to you and said, hey, you got to do this? I would be so overwhelmed with uh, that responsibility at such a young age that I think I'd have to find the most senior NCO staff sergeant or master sergeant that had 20 plus years on and be like, you need to teach me everything I need to know right now. (laughs) And then from there, just wing it using the gifts that you already have. You know, hopefully one of those gifts being leadership. Yeah, exactly. And then the second one, which I really like, and it's it's kind of, it's interesting because Brian and I, we talked about a little bit about this before the podcast and it kind of goes with 
which you texted me, which is this person would have been ousted in this day and age. Uh, they would have been shunned or whatever. But this is a great story, just kind of highlighting this uh, colonel's attitude, his mindset, his aggressiveness, right? Which today is what? It's offensive language now. It's it's a toxic masculinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, when we were talking about Colonel Johns earlier today, uh, you know, when I read that, that one commander was relieved for lack of aggressiveness. And I thought, well, in today's world, he might be promoted Ooh. for lack of aggressiveness. Um, and, uh, you know, because, you know, people, uh, it seems more and more doing nothing will help, is safe and keeps you from getting out, getting, uh, you know, your pee pee slapped. And uh, nowadays, you know, unless you have a squeaky clean record, it appears that you can't get to those leadership positions. I don't want that guy leading me. I want the guy leading me that made those mistakes and then learn from them. Mm. You know, I was reading about uh, a naval uh, um, officer, and I think it was Chester Nimitz. He he crashed a naval ship early in his career, whatever it's called, ran it aground. He ended up being, I think, like the chief of naval operations later on in life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be unheard of. But see, I think that the, the attitude of let people make mistakes, uh, as long as they're honest mistakes and they learn from them, uh, you know, get them to those positions of leadership because you just don't want the guy that's always had a win. Yeah. You yeah. know, just like, you know, whenever we used to do, uh, I used to do some boxing back in the day when I was a young, young officer with a couple guys at my station. And there was this one dude who wasn't uh, law enforcement. But he was a, he could throw some haymakers. Yeah, he, one of the guys that was uh, teaching the boxing class said, I'm going to let him do what he wants to do. He's, he's throwing haymakers. He got hit one time. He was like, I'm done. You don't want to, you don't want to learn that the first time you get hit is in training and you're done. You want that or in uh, in real life, you want that to happen in training yep. so you can learn from it. Yep. And uh, yeah, for, like also about Colonel Johns going back to that gentleman. Uh, I read about in somewhere around 1960, uh, he was uh, going to trying to get into East Berlin when the Soviets yes. and everything had shut down. Oh, that's and, what uh, I was going to highlight. Go ahead. Go bro, ahead. Take yeah. it. So, no, take and, it. And, and like you said, he spoke fluent German. So he took 1500 troop U.S. soldiers through a Soviet lines to get to East Berlin or to get to Berlin on the uh, free side of it, the west side. And the guard, he said he told the guard at the gate and fluent German opened the gate. And that guard said, what if I don't? He pulled out his night. He pulls out his 1911 points it at him. And says, then you will be the first casualty of World War Three. <laughs> wow, the the leadership, the balls, and the gusto to make that move. Knowing that that pretty would have pretty much would have started World War Three had he shot that uh, that communist. Uh, that right there, that's leadership. That's some high level leadership there. <laughs> wow, that's that's thirty years. Which at that point in time, obviously, he's within his career, but he's 30 years, right? And after his 30 years of two wars, I don't know how many deployments, I don't know how many people he's led. He's lost 2,400 men in, in World War II. He's earned these incredible awards for all of the, you know, the, the things that he did during those wars. And then at the same time, from an academic standpoint, He's, you know, fluent in French, Bulgarian, Spanish, German. I mean, it's an, it's insane. But after those 30 years, right, 
you have this thing that's called the basic philosophy of soldiering, which is um, now taught, I think, in, in probably war college or army war college or stuff like that. But the basic philosophy of soldiering, and that's what we're going to go through, which to me, you know, I got this, um, you can listen to Jocko Willink, you can listen to other uh, military, former Navy SEAL, stuff like that, you can get that within their reference of what they went through, through the military. And the reason I picked this is because a, it's applicable to law enforcement, but it's also applicable to everything, right? Like life in general, you know, your, your servitude and your leadership within your own family or within your own community, within your own business, whatever it is. So we're going to go through this, Brian, and, you know, whatever your comments are, I mean, obviously, what I loved, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to say a lot of, uh, <laughs> say a lot of great things because uh, just for the listeners, Brian Gatos was um, a classmate. We went through the academy together. Uh, we spent a career together, um, sometimes together, a lot of times not together. And, you know, Brian, you were always an inspiration to me in so many different ways, man, from a personal standpoint, from a professional standpoint. Um, and to be honest with you, man, I always looked up to you in just your leadership qualities which had nothing to do with academia, had nothing to do with anything other than the fact is everything that you did was just naturally you. And I, I saw that. I'll tell an anecdote. So we were in the academy. I don't know if you remember this, but we were in the academy. And I think we either were about to take a test or we just took a test and we were reviewing the answers. And the instructor went through the whole test and at the end said something like, does anybody have any questions? And you stood up out of everybody. Cause usually at this point in time, most people are tired. Most people are sick and just like, all right, whatever, like let's get on with it. You know, everybody passed or we're going to pass whatever, the, whatever the case was, but man, you stood up out of all these people. I think there was like 62 people in our class at that point. And you stood up amongst all these people and you stated, yeah, I have questions. And I remember there were a few scoffers in the crowd because they were ready to go. They were scoffers in the crowd. And you immediately shut them down, but you did it in such a professional, in such a leadership way where you said, hey, I don't know everything. I'm not as smart as everybody. And it may have been, you know, a little bit of, you know, um, what, what do they call that? Um, when, when you're, when you don't speak so well about yourself, but the fact self-deprecating, self-deprecating, <laughs> but at the same time, it was so honest. And you were like, listen, I don't know it all. I want to understand this. And this is what I need to know. So therefore I have questions at that point in time, I looked at you and I said, that's a leadership quality. I don't know what that is, but there's a leadership quality there. So as I go on through my career, I was actually a sergeant with you under a unit. And again, another example is you were in front of um, our unit for the first time in roll call. And this is quote unquote, an elite unit at the department that we were at. And the first thing that you did, the first thing that you did is you introduced me and you 
included me as a supervisor with you. So therefore, we are a team. And whatever the team can say to you, they can say to me and vice versa. And so therefore, just that simple addition of, hey, we're together. This is my new sergeant. We're going to hit this head on and we're a team right there, you know, is a sense of inclusiveness. And you didn't have to do that because I had leaders in the past where they didn't do that. That was the last thing they wanted to do. Um, but those are just two great stories that I remember. There's, there's a lot more, um, but those are two great stories. And it just kind of leads this kind of whole thing into what I wanted to talk about with you, which is very important in leadership um, and how it applies to you, your life with, you know, how you went about your career, whether you knew it or not. Um, and then now looking back at it, being a civilian and looking at your career. Yeah, I, I kind of I think I do remember those instances you're talking about. Um, uh, the first one, when I asked that question, yeah, usually at the end of some class or period of instruction, everyone does want to go home. And sometimes I'm like, dude, let's just get out. But, you know, at that time, as a brand new as a brand new recruit, you know, I wanted to be the best officer I could be to not only not only for myself, but for my team coming from a team environment in the Marine Corps, I had just left. 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines, Lima Company. I was a machine gun section leader there, but I was a young sergeant. And uh, if I didn't have all of my information squared away, I could get other people hurt. And I knew that. So my goal was to be the best I could be in the academy. So when I did hit the streets, when I was just a, a rookie, a rough, rough around the edges rookie, my FTI and the senior officers and even my supervisors could work on, you know, I can have them work on uh, polishing me to make me even better. Because I, you know, I knew where I was, I was at a starting point. I was back at the bottom of the totem pole and I needed to learn everything I could. Then fast forwarding to whenever you and I worked together co-supervising, I knew that just because you have the highest rank in the room, it doesn't make you the smartest person in the room. You need your team and, the highest rank in the room means you're responsible for everything. It doesn't mean you're the smartest. It does. It's why you have to collectively gather information, um, especially during times of training, to better the team as a unit. Now, there are times in, in the heat of battle, um, you know, a shot's fired or whatever, where you have to immediately make that call, instant obedience to orders, no question. You guys go do this, go attack that hill, you know, go go hit that, go clear that corner, whatever. Um, and your troops will know, uh, you know, if you conduct yourself correctly, uh, using the right leadership traits and you treat your people like human beings, uh, they will follow you to hell and back. And that's the kind of people you want with you. And as a leader, it's your responsibility to make that happen. So, you know, when I was there supervising that unit, it, it was a pretty, in my, my opinion, an, an elite unit. And, uh, when you came on board as my two IC, you know, we had work to do, important work. There was a lot of stuff going on at that time with a lot of violent crimes, uh, with the bodies we were finding. And the, these these weren't just, uh, you know, dudes stealing chains out of cars, change out of cars. And these are guys killing people, you know, for their organization. And uh, it was it was it was a rough time. It was scary. But, uh, you know, tell you the truth, brother, I wanted, wanted to have anyone else with me at that time other than you. 
and the team that we had. And uh, we rock and roll, dude. It was good times. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, it was a good team. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so let's get on with this, man. Let me let me let me put these things in um, to you. Number one, strive to do small things well. To me, that is that is such an adage in in so many different ways, right? Like um, I was reading this book and it talked about the habits of very or highly successful people. And one of the things that they talked about is, is doing the little things, right? And one of the little things is waking up and having a routine. And one of those routines or part of that routine in the morning is making your bed. You know, a simple act of getting up and making your bed is that little thing that could set you for the day. And the way that they put it is that if you didn't make your bed, then it kind of it kind of makes the day disjointed because you can come back into the room and here you have this kind of messy thing, right, which is your bed. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of typifies maybe your disorganization or your dysfunctionality when it comes to other things because you're not taking care of the little things. So if you're not taking care of the little things, which is a, in this example, making your bed to then go on about your day, which is, you know, a simple brush your teeth. You know, if you take a shower, you know, all these little aspects of how your day starts off is very important. And even as you spoke earlier with the little things about an operation, you know, the little things that we know strengths and weaknesses about our team members and how we're going to attack a house or how we're going to, you know, instead of going to the door, we're going to call somebody out because we know and we've done the intel that, you know, it's better to have them outside of the home and take them then versus being in their playground, right? So these are Absolutely. little these are little things. So we strive to do things, small things well. What does that mean for you? For me, that started out as a young kid. Um, from the time I could walk, I was out doing yard work for my dad. We lived out in the country, out in the cut. And like, he had me do things that, you know, you rarely see kids five, six, seven years old do, you know, uh, using uh, lawnmowers, doing, uh, you know, using saws and uh, the small things. For instance, if he did the yard work, he, he wanted me to pick weeds around the house and around these railroad ties that we had. Small things, little things like that. But he would make sure I did it so meticulously well over and over again. He'd come over and say, no, you missed this. No, you missed that. Looking back, I was like, damn, this dude, man, he's rough. But in the end, that helped me later on in life. That helped me through boot camp. That helped me through my time in the Marine Corps. That helped me through my time in the Air Force Reserve. And it definitely helped me through my time in the police department. It was those little things. Um, making your rack in, in boot camp. That was that ended up being just a that was a norm for me anyway, because my mom, the four foot eleven tyrant that she was, if I didn't make my bed, I had hell to pay. So things like that, making your bed. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard that from numerous people in the industry and in law enforcement and military. That one small thing, starting off your day, making your bed, that lines up everything else, like you said, right? Because if you start your day like a shit bag or you know, like someone who's slovenly. The rest of your day probably isn't going to look that well, not, not, not that good for you. But when you get into the mindset of it's the little things, boom, boom, 
And those little things keep, keep adding on and adding on. Well, all those little things together make one big thing. For instance, like when we're talking about your, if you got Intel and you're going to, you're going to hit a house, you're going to paper a house. Um, all those little things we do something small from doing open source checks online to running someone through NCICV send to running someone in different databases to interviewing other people and friends and uh, to doing on-site surveillance, all those little things that are days, sometimes weeks before you even hit that house. If you don't do those little things, when you do the big thing of papering that house and hitting that house, you're in for a, a bad day because one slip, one slip up, it's, it can throw a whole wrench in the, in the, uh, in the machine. You know what I mean? And, uh, <clears throat> those little things add up and, uh, more and more we see nowadays, people just want to jump to the big. They don't want to do the hard, they don't want to put the work in. They don't want to do the hard things. They just want to just, you know, I just want to be from A, A to Z right away. They don't want to do everything else in between. And, uh, you know, the key for young, for young people, young officers that might be listening to the podcast is if you jump on those small things, shine your boots up real quick before every shift, going and training on your own at the range, getting good site alignment, site picture every time, going over your seven fundamentals of marksmanship, going over your interview techniques, going over how to, how to more efficiently change a tire for some old lady on the side of the street to get her out of there as quickly as possible. I know that might sound silly, but those little things that make you a better officer and just make you a better person in general. I love that, man. And and honestly, um, it is, it is awestrucking to me to see younger officers these days, because I am with, you know, the federal government now doing law enforcement. And what I hear a lot of times is, First of all, a lot of these officers have zero experience in law enforcement. They get into the job, and the first thing that they do, and this is big for the feds, is that they want to become a criminal investigator. And I'm sitting there thinking, you don't even know how to even conduct a roadside interview on a traffic stop. You don't even know how to, uh, no joke, you don't, you don't even know how to set a flare, let alone light a flare, because I've had officers come to me and ask me, how do you, how do I do this? And I'm sitting there thinking, you can't do these simple things, these little things well, but yet now you feel upset that you're not going to get this criminal investigator position when we know that that criminal investigator position entails a ton of little things that you have to do well in order to get your ducks in a row. Um, but I love what you said, man. And we're, we'll, we'll move on to number two. So number two states, be a doer and self-starter. Aggressiveness and initiative are two most admired qualities in leadership. But you must also put your feet up and think. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'll tell you, man. Uh, being a doer, to me, that's just having initiative to, uh, if you see something that needs to get done, you don't have to ask. Just do it. Just do it. Uh, you know, if, if you see, <clears throat> I don't know, uh, at the end of your shift, the cruiser, that, the cruiser that you're handing over to the next guy has mud on it, you know, take it to the car wash real quick. If you, uh, if you know there's going to be a transport somewhere and you know no one else is going to want to do it and it's busy and people are rocking and rolling, 
and your bosses are getting talked to by their commanders and they're stressed out about something, they'll just step up and say, hey, I got this boss, let me do this. You know, or if you're a boss, you know, and you see someone uh, struggling on something, it's okay every once in a while, give someone a hand up and go, just go do it and, and lead by example and show them, hey, this is how I used to do this. It's worked for me. If you like it, put it in your toolbox. If you don't, you can throw it out. But, you know, just self-start on things like that. Um, aggressive and initiative, you know, an initiative. Aggressiveness, we spoke about earlier. Aggressiveness used to be a highly sought after quality in our profession, in our, my, form, or my former profession, your current profession. Um, I'm not so sure about that anymore. Uh, it's hard to, you know, when you say aggressiveness, uh, I always think of running after someone who just committed a violent felony um, and they go into a door somewhere and you bust the door right down behind them on, in hot pursuit. Um, I don't, I don't know how things are changing. I've only been out for four months, but I know things are changing very quickly, exponentially fast. Um, so, you know, I don't know what kind of aggressiveness that they're looking for in that in the law enforcement uh, arena nowadays. Um, but uh, the thinking on your feet, or sometimes they say the, the think and put your feet up and think. Uh, when there's time to do that, absolutely do it. You know, get uh, the what if games. Remember, we went to a 7-Eleven and you didn't just pull into a 7-Eleven and go, I'm going in and getting coffee. You pull in and you wait at the end of the parking lot and you look through the glass. You look at the clerk, make sure he's not being robbed. You make sure there ain't no dudes in the corner putting ski masks on. You make sure there's no guy around the corner, you know, fidgeting with something in his waistband. Once you think it's all good, you got your, that's putting your feet up, right? Then you go ahead, back in somewhere, go get your coffee. So, yeah, that, those things are very. Uh, th that was the second point I think Colonel Johns was talking about. Mm -hmm. Those things are those, those things are definitely uh, key. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think um, it's one of the most important. Just just being an initiator, right? One of the things that you talked about earlier is also just initiating your own training. And I was having a conversation with somebody on the way home on the way home today. And one of the things that is, is um, it's crazy to me is that the lack of training that law enforcement officers get even just time on gun, right? In real world situations. And, you know, you can get that yourself if you are an initiator, a doer by going to the range, like you said, you know, mm -hmm. another thing, how about being in shape? How about? Oh man! <laughs> How about... Hey, look, I, hey, don't be talking about working out. I remember those workouts you used to put us through, right? And you know, as as the two bosses, you were in there killing me, and then other people started joining in because they saw that aggressiveness that you had in the workouts, and they wanted to get in better shape, so they joined in. Bro, I, I, don't be talking about getting in shape. You you crushed me, dude. Oh, it made me a better person. But it was good times, man. Yeah. But but that's one of those things, right? It's like you have these people, you know, and I hate to say it, you know, a lot of law enforcement officers that are out there, they look slovenly in their uniform. And it's like, you know, there's a sense of pride in that. There's a doership in that, which is you have every recourse to go out and either join a gym or just don't even join a gym. Just go out and walk or do something that's going to better your health, which mm -hmm. then entail makes you a better individual for the community once you get into you know something protecting somebody's life or you know whatever the case is and so you know just those simple aspects right like like those are things that are controllable by the individual and when we start seeing those lack of things to be able to self-start and and do 
and and they get in that rut and they get that cruiser ass man it's a sad it's a sad sight it it really is a sad sight and it disappoints me um you know but ultimately you see a lot of good officers like yourself and you know other officers that I'm working with even now I can always tell the ones that just want to learn you know having that hunger to learn and to just create that initiative by just even asking questions it's such a it's such a simple thing to do but there's ego involved in that too right like why am i going to ask cuz you know it either makes them feel like they look dumb or they think that they're too good and they already know the answer you know what i mean um, I do. And I, I think I think also another factor that uh, we have learned over the years is it's generational because you have people who communicate with others only by cell phone text or uh, you know Snapchat or whatever. They never really had to uh, go through a full day without that technology. And I'm not saying talk, technology is a bad thing. It, it can be used for really good things. But I think that the ability to just talk to someone face to face one on one and, um, you know, you get different idiosyncrasies with someone when you're speaking to them face to face, you know, constantly with other, you know, speaking to other people in the community. Um, that plays a big part. And I think younger, younger officers not wanting or not being even able to formulate a question face to face for lack of because of lack of confidence of being of being able to do so. So I think maybe that's, you know, that can be if you're like an, a field training instructor, uh, if possible, you know, tell your rookie, hey, look, stow the phone for today. Unless obviously they have a need to, like emergency need to have it. Stow the phone for today. We're just talking to people. You know, yeah. I got my phone. We're good. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, number three states, strive for self-improvement through constant self-evaluation. What, 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 how much, let, let me ask you. <laughs> Because I'll tell you truthfully, from my from my end, early on in my career, there was probably more of ego than verse verse um, self evaluation, right? Self evaluation takes a really really honest look at how and what and why you're doing things, and that's a lot of hard stuff because most people don't want to face that. Um, but as I got older, and things happened whether it's personal or professionally, I started to get into the mode of self-evaluation, but that also came from some pain (laughs) and some darkness Mm -hmm. that, that, that came about with that. Right. Um, So, so I think in this, for me, I would say that in order to have that self-evaluation you're going to have to go through some shit in order to realize that you're going to have to evaluate what the hell you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, self-improvement and self-evaluation, it needs to be constant. Uh, in the military, whenever you camouflage something, you, they say to constantly update your, your camouflage, constantly update it. Um, vegetation dies, you have to put new vegetation in there. You can liken that to anything in personal life, law enforcement, um, you know, work I do here at my farm. You know, if, I set up a chicken coop, right? And I think it's perfect. Oh, there's a gap in there. How do I find out there was a gap in there? Well, an animal got in there, maybe killed one of my chickens. So I got to improve that. Uh, I'm constantly evaluating what I do here. I'm constantly evaluating what I do in every aspect of my life uh, with my relationships, with my wife and my children and trying to continuously self-improve. 
um, uh, even with my youngest, uh, you know, my youngest kid, I, um, I'm always trying to learn that she has it a little bit easier, I guess, because my other two older kids, they, uh, you know, they had to go through the trials and tribulations with me. And I like to think that I'm getting a little bit better, but I can always improve. So mm-hmm. with my youngest kid, you know, I'm, I'm learning, I've learned from the past with my older ones, what works and what doesn't work. And, um, uh, trying to be a better father through self-improvement and the self-evaluation of the mistakes of the past. You're, you're hundred percent right. You learn more from those mistakes and being in, in any organization, you have to be allowed to make mistakes mm. without getting thrown under the bus or, you know, have a, um, absolute manhole cover dropped on you because you made a mistake. Um, that right there breeds people who will not do self-evaluation and will not self-improve because they want to take no risks and you cannot improve and you can't self-evaluate if you don't take any risks. If you just show up every day and do nothing, your goal is just to continuously get promoted where it looks good because you have nothing on your IA record, but you you and I both know that, you know, the majority of the times a cop that doesn't have any complaints on them really wasn't doing his job. Yep. No, for real. And that's truth. You know, because if you've never been a cop before, you can look at those complaints as like, oh, that guy is a bad cop. Well, no, more than likely that cop is a good cop because they're the ones that are going and shaking the trees and dealing with the the bad element in a community or a neighborhood. And they're the ones that are, in a sense, you know, I hate to say this, but it's true. They're the ones that are keeping the wolves at bay because they're constantly in the wolf's face. Um, and wolves, you know, they're, they're sly, man. They're like a Fox, man. They, they can complain, they can make, you know, these mm-hmm. allegations. And, and a lot of times I would say, you know, I'd, I'd venture to say 95% of the time, it's probably a false accusation of some sort because they know the system. Um, but ultimately yeah, what's that? No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. And here's another sentiment that I used to hear that one all shit will ruin a hundred attaboys. Mm. Why is that so? That doesn't make sense. What well, if you got a guy who has numerous letters in his jacket of people thanking him for what he did, uh, you know, so-and-so, you know, helped remove a rabbit raccoon from my backyard. So-and-so helped, you know, you know, push, push me out of the highway in a bad rainy day where people were continuously getting rear-ended, um, you know, or so-and-so saved my life or so-and-so delivered my child on the side of the interstate. Mm. You have an officer who's aggressive, who's doing things like that. And then he gets one complaint from a less desirable person in society who probably deserves to be, you know, behind bars, gets one complaint. And all of a sudden, oh, so, you know, that cop, there's something wrong with him. Nah, I don't think so. I don't think one one complaint ruins 100 attaboys. It's only that way because people who say that allow it to be. Yes. The leadership, right? This, (laughs) The leadership, which is what we're talking about here, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we move on to the next thing, which is never be satisfied. Ask of any project that you do, how can it be done better? Oh my gosh, Brian, this one right here, it hits home to me because here's what happens. What happens is you get into whatever agency department, you become, you know, somewhat uh, grizzled as a veteran. And then you start asking questions and you start noticing things and you're like, why are we doing this? Whatever this fill in the blank. 
And then what ha- what's the what's the common response? The common response is we've always done it this way. <laughs> no, that's it. it. Right. Which is <laughs> which is insane. And it's like to me, I sit there and I go, okay, let's look at this. Okay. We want to be leaders and we want to be forward thinking and quote unquote progressive and in all these different aspects. And especially when it comes to police work, you you constantly have to be evolving and changing, whether it's technology, whether it's techniques, whether it's training, whatever it is, you got to be constantly in that mindset of changing, you know, and the one thing that to me helps you change is you have to, you have to, as a leader, as a, as a, as a, I don't care whether you're a boot or I don't care whether you're the one that is calling the shots in a, in a high incident, you know, um, command in a bus, whatever the case is, you have to ask, how can this be better? How can we have done it better? And absolutely. Yeah. I think when we were together, I, dude, we used to ride around a lot together. Mm -hmm. We used to just spitball not only life questions, but even questions about the team and like, how can we be better as a unit, you know, training wise. And I, I, what I liked about what we used to do is after every operation, no matter how big or small, we'd, we'd get in a circle and we'd say, all right, fellas, listen, and we'd go to each person. What did you see? What did you do? What did you like? What did you not like? And what can we do to improve? After every operation, we did that. And I found that gathering all the information from the entire team, we were able to make big improvements. And with the team, you know, I liken the team to a puzzle. Everyone plays their piece, right? And we had one guy that was his specific thing was training. He was really good at setting up training. We had some training that was above and beyond what he was getting from outside the agency than what we were getting inside the agency for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can remember doing training with some some three-letter agencies that nowadays I don't think any any art that the department would sign off on. But you know what, dude? It made us a much better team, more cohesive, because we were on some ranges in the summer in, you know, rural Virginia, the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. getting eaten up by bugs and mosquitoes, sweating our asses off, doing some drills, getting fast, getting good, and filling each other out. You know, we didn't even have to have verbal communication, uh, yeah. you know, at, at, at some point from getting so so refined as a team. Um, and, and gather, you know, that guy that got us, that was his, that was his part of the puzzle. And we played off that, his strengths. And that's how we improved as a team. That's how we, you and I, as leaders took the team together, got gathered that information and constantly try to self-improve as a unit to become more cohesive. And, you know, it really worked out. I, I used to sit back sometimes and watch the guys do their things and, you know, and, and just see the interaction and, the, you know, the smoking and joking that went on was indicative of a good team. And I, I felt that we were just, we were really, really solid. That's probably some of the best time in my career is when you and I were on that team together, co-supervising it. And it was, mm-hmm. it was a really good time, man. We, we had an open forum, but we also knew when to put the, the boss hats on. And it was, uh, it was, it was an amazing time. And I'll look back at that as my best time in my career. I love that, man. I appreciate that. And, you know, I wanted to also add in there, this coincides, uh, it correlates completely with your home life, right? Like you talked about, you know, being better, you know, for your daughters and, you know, even for your wife and just kind of striving for that. How can I be better? 
that's a that's a hard question when it comes to relational stuff. It's how can I be better? Because a lot of times we carry a lot of baggage. We carry our own stuff into relationships. And so even at work, when we deal with people, we're carrying our own stuff when we deal with people. But yet when you sit there and, you know, what what does Jocko say? He says, check your ego, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard, man. It's hard to check your ego when you can't even recognize your own ego. You have to be able to recognize it. And I think a lot of times that recognition comes from, you know, some pain or some some downtime, you know, yeah, and some, yeah. Oh, yeah. some work. And so in order to ask that question, how can I be better or how can this be better? You know, you have to self-reflect. If you're not self-reflecting, then you're not moving forward. You have to be able to self-reflect in order to move forward, to know your strengths and weaknesses. Um, number five, don't over-inspect or over-supervise. Allow your leaders to make mistakes in training so they can profit from the airs and not make them in combat or in us, in operations, in, you know, knowing when to cut off a pursuit because you know it's raining, there's traffic, time of day, all these different factors and elements that go into it. And you know what? Um, Sometimes supervisors don't know those things because they're so wrapped up in whatever's going on. And so, but at the same time, they also don't know what you, what what this kind of goes to is indecision is made based off of, I think a lot of times in over inspection and over supervising, because I will tell you now in the department that I'm with, the over supervising or inspection is incredible. And a lot of times officers can't even make their own decision without the supervisor telling them the decision that they should make, which is to me crazy because you have to let your people fail at whatever decision they're going to make. As long as they're not hurting or violating somebody's rights, the decision that they make, you got to let them, you got to let them work through that on their own without you telling them what to do. Yeah, absolutely. That's 100% true. I've worked on squads that I got to and um, previous to me being there, I could tell how the supervisor was just by observing them on the street, uh, you know, handling calls within the first week or two. Uh, And the ones who weren't were allowed to make mistakes and allowed to learn and were, uh, I'm not saying you just let anyone do anything run rampant wild, wild west. You know, none of us are saying that, but when they were allowed to make mistakes, they were better officers. And I would get to some squads where uh, just uh, w- w- not knowing when it was time to put handcuffs on a suspect. Where I, you know, I would to say, cuff them, get them to jail and get them out of here. Don't lay here. With, don't have them here laying on the ground screaming. Put them in cuffs. Get them out of here. And, um, you know, <clears throat> I think that whenever you over supervise someone that crushes confidence that absolutely crushes confidence and uh, allowing for mistakes to be made in training for leadership. What's what we see whenever they're not even allowed to make mistakes in leadership. Uh, when there is a bunch of backstabbing going on amongst uh, upper ranks, upper echelon, uh, no one wants to make a decision and no one wants to make a mistake out of fear of being backstabbed or having their career torpedoed 
because they're not allowed to make mistakes. And that becomes cultural over time where that's the accepted practice due to his poor management. Uh, you and I both worked with this guy. He was a major, I won't say his name, on the police department. This dude was a beast. You know who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. He was he was in the upper echelon, higher ranking guy. And if shit went down, he was strapping on his rifle and he would be right in a stack with you. And uh, that you can tell that kind of leader was a man who allowed his people to make mistakes. And he himself probably made some mistakes and learned from them. And in doing so, he was very empathetic and he was an empath to the officers who were out there running around handling day to day business. And, uh, you know, being under the under the guise or under, or I'm sorry, under the supervision and guidance of someone like that gentleman was, dude, you can tell that, uh, you know, whoever brought him up did it right because then he brought up people right. And unfortunately, he he he, he was the, uh, you know, exception to the rule, you know, yes. towards towards the middle and end of our career. And, and that's a sad thing to say, because guess what? Life and death still hasn't changed for thousands of years from when Cain killed Abel all the way to today. Yep. Uh, you know, violence is violence. Human beings are human beings. Ain't nothing changed regardless of what you feel you like. You are what you are, exactly. you know, and you know, human beings are very uh, predictable, very predictable. Fickle, too. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> very much so. We're man. very fickle. Um, yeah. So well, number six. <laughs> number six. Keep the troops informed. Telling them what, how, and why builds their confidence. Can you can you go back into kind of your career and give instances where this was either done to you or you did this to your troops that you commanded um, throughout your career? And Absolutely. Just like the result of that, like – you saw the end result of how that played out. Sure. Well, early on in my career, I was working nights and I had a uh, second lieutenant who uh, we had uh, a, a couple extra bodies over minimum staffing. Yeah. Right. How, <laughs> hard to believe nowadays. Right. We actually had more people than we were supposed to. Um, he said, Hey, listen, we have these rash of burglaries that are going on. We all knew about them. And he said, I want you to take this, uh, guy that just got here about six months ago get in plain clothes take that take that uh i don't know what it was a honda or acura go out there and just see what you see and uh he said you know if you need any help hit me up on the radio i didn't have a cell phone i don't think back then he said hit me up on the radio and uh you know we'll do you know i'll, I'll let you know I'll, I'll get someone out there to help you well that that night me and my buddy uh we found this guy walking with a pillowcase in the middle of a parking lot at a, at a major intersection at the station we worked at and we, we said hey sir you mind talking to you and uh, he huh we talked to him he said what are you doing blah, blah, blah. we got his id he said we're just going to do a contact write up a little contact card that we talked to you and that's it he turns and walks away and drops a rolex watch on the ground Good. Um, so he dropped the rolex watch on the ground <laughs> he drops a rolex watch on the ground just starts walking away we abandoned property we took the watch we didn't have really anything else on them we go back to the detectives talk to them they go oh yeah this is my victim's watch here's a picture of it <laughs> so long story short dude got out of it like a 25 or a 30 year stint in prison he had been out for like a month and he just couldn't keep clean he just he wanted to get back into the institution so yeah papered the house me and my buddy got to go in uniform with the detectives and took them to jail and that all happened because I had a leader that kept me informed on these burglaries that were going on, who we were looking for, and what our, 
what our mission was. But he gave us room to make errors by leaving it open, not so regimented that we couldn't we could we couldn't uh, operate you know from from A to B without asking him. We were allowed to make our own mistakes. So that's the biggest incident that will always stick with me with um, keeping troops informed and uh, um, letting let you know building the confidence of those troops. <clears throat> um, uh, that's the biggest one that sticks out to me as far as a supervisor ever taking care of me and, and taking care of his people. He was, he was an amazing, uh, supervisor. It is a, it is a very important, um, it's very important to keep your people informed because, you know, and this is a very simple thing and, and I don't know why I just, I hate this aspect. And I, when I became a supervisor, I never did this because I knew the angst or the anxiety that it caused in the officer it's just very simple, right? I remember we used to ride and all of a sudden you would get a CAD message. Um, for those listeners, a CAD message is just like a text message, but on a computer, right? Car to car. Mm-hmm. So the cat, I'd get a CAD message from my supervisor. It'd be like, you know, whatever designator from a sergeant or a lieutenant, Hey, meet me here, but nothing else other than that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that used to burn me up because you would get there. First of all, the anxiety that you went through, you start, th- you start thinking about your day. Okay. Who did I talk to? Did I possibly say something, something wrong yeah. to somebody? Did I quote unquote offend anybody? Did because I miss we, court? Yeah. <laughs> did I miss court? Did I, you know, something, something you're, you're all automatically playing these like, Oh, what if games of like, what did I do? And then you'd get there and it would be completely different. It'd be something about like, hey, man, uh, you didn't sign your overtime sheet. So I just brought it out here. I just wanted you to sign it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's yeah, like, are you, like, what are we doing here? You know, so those are that's a very simple thing of like just keeping your people informed, which is how about say, hey, meet me here. I want to talk to you about you got to sign your overtime sheet. So I just wanted to get it to you. How how hard is that? Right? It's like, not. It's not. It's not hard. <laughs> no, even even with my kids, you know, I'm I'm very specific on what I ask of them and what I want from them and what I need from them, and and you know, and they they understand, uh, you know, more often than not now that you know, uh, hey, what Dad says is what he means. There's no ambiguity to it. If he says do the dishes, put them away. I don't have to tell them, you know, do the dishes and use dish liquid in the water, put them in the, you know, <laughs> take a, take a towel, dry them off, put them away where they belong. Um, because I've explained to them and I've showed them by example, actually going and doing it before I ask them to do anything. I do it yeah. and, and, and show them how it's done cleaning the chicken coop. I do it, show them how it's done. So now they know how, and they do it. Little things. Love it, man. And it all ties back to the little things that we first talked about. The first point, right? I think that was the first point. <laughs> yep, yep, do small things. Well, Yep. Uh, number seven, the harder the training, the more troops will brag. What do you think about that? Like, so I, I like the fact that you brought up, uh, I remember us working out and I remember I, <laughs> I became like the, the, uh, the de facto trainer for our unit. And there were people mm-hmm. that would come and do the workouts and stuff like that. But at the same time, did you feel that there was a sense of like kind of bragging in the sense of, oh, I just did this workout, you know, and you didn't do the workout, but we're doing the workout. Yeah. 
there was there was that. And when when we say bragging, I could see it in their eyes. When we would go into a briefing as a team, and you and I would walk in, our guys, uh, you could see it in their eyes. They're like, "Yeah, our, our bosses are here. We're ready to rock and roll. We're ready for this." And we would be with other agencies, either feds or uh, you know other local or state agencies, and um, you could see it. They put hold their chins up a little bit higher. <laughs> All right, here we go. We're ready to rock. This is our show. Let's do this. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, it wasn't out of being cocky. It was out of being confident. It was out of being straight confident. You know what I mean? Because and, and uh, That's what it is, though, right? Like, I mean, outside of the physical training, we did a lot of, you know, room clearing training, wh whether it was our unit or whether it was with the feds and trying to work with them. We did a ton of stuff. Like, I remember shooting, what, was it twice a month? And just doing these crazy kind of like uh, shooting drills on 10, you know, and having competitions who can use their nine and still hit 10 at like 100 yards, you know, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. just keep backing up. And these are these are those small things, right? Like the initiative aspect of like as a team, we were going to train, we were going to do something to be better. And so, yeah, the harder you train, the more braggadocious you can be whether it's outwardly mm -hmm. with your mouth because you know that you're so much more ready and prepared than possibly somebody who is next to you and i always loved that always and that became infectious because when we would go to other units uh either you know would it you know would it be a patrol patrol squad or you know local state other you know other local agency fed that the, the confidence was was contagious because you know they had a lot of you know the fellows had a lot of good connections with other agencies and stuff and those guys could pick up on it like damn these dudes here they're locked on all right time to rock and roll and, and you know and everyone knew it everyone knew it um and that was that was such a beautiful thing to watch as a supervisor when you're when your men hold on one second All right. Sorry, man. I don't know if you can hear that background noise in there, but it's I apologize right. if it's coming it's through. All, it's all good. Um, but <clears throat> you could, uh, where was I at on that? Uh, were your men. Yeah. So <clears throat> it was so great to watch them gel, you know, because there, there came a point in time during our leadership stint there where you could sit back and just watch them operate like a living, breathing, single organism where they would just do their thing and you really didn't have to give too much swords to the back to make them charge forward they just they were self-initiated self-starters one yep. of those points we talked about yeah and they were aggressive in a great way um so yeah the harder the training the more the shoots are bragged that that training aspect was very key it is it is and that it, it, you know it goes it goes with everything too i think just even in life in general, like I tell my daughter all the time, I go, hard work will always beat talent. You know, you can be talented and you're more than likely not going to work as hard as somebody who has some talent, but their initiative and their aggressiveness to want to be better. <laughs> that drive to hard work is, is man, that's an unbeatable, that's an unbeatable equation, man. Um, yeah. So moving on, let's see. Number eight, enthusiasm, fairness, and moral and physical courage. Whew, man. Four of the most important aspects of leadership. Four of the most important aspects of leadership. 
enthusiasm, bro. I think, um, I think you personified enthusiasm in a lot of different ways with how you led. And even as an officer, and even I remember in the academy, I think enthusiasm is an infectious thing. If you as a person doing anything, and you're just presenting it as humdrum, like, yeah, this is what we got to do, right? <laughs> your the family, old adage. Yeah. yeah, your family <laughs> or anybody else are going to be like, I don't want to do this. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't going to be fun. But yet, if you present it with enthusiasm and you are truly enthused in doing whatever it is, whether it's even doing the chicken coop, you know, with your daughters and you present it like, look at this, look at these chickens, look how they peck and look how awesome it is. And you can explain all these little minutia points to them, but make it like, oh my gosh, you know, or even with my daughter, I remember um i remember in order to get her to read like or to even get her to ride a bike you know i remember every time she fell i would say hey babe this is what this is what you did wrong and she would get upset but then i then but but she got back on and then once she got back on and she made it a little further without falling i'd like jump up and like scream yeah Mm -hmm. yeah, oh yeah baby, you oh, yeah. got it girl you're almost there but yet if yeah. i was that dad who just was like uh you fell again you know mm -hmm. or had no enthusiasm to the success even the little points of success yeah good lord man yeah. or you're running over there with terror in your eyes scaring them even more yeah exactly you know? man. because truth be told being a parent is just being a leader you have yes. to be a leader to be a parent yeah um, and the the enthusiasm is 100 percent uh so the old adage you get if you get lemons make lemonade <laughs> and no matter what the mission we'd be given sometimes even though you and i or other supervisors might know mm, this is probably um an improper order but <laughs> we you know we'll take that up we'll take that up with the big bosses later uh, or it's just like it's probably not the most the smartest way of going around to getting to do something once you're given that order and it's as long as it's legal ethical and moral <clears throat> you know you do it and it's and as long as it's within the confines of the constitution and law you, you do it and you got to be enthusiastic about it even if that's doing a stupid dance or, or a little ditty in the room with the fellas and be, you know and, and just making them get a laugh for two seconds that right there will help uh everyone get through it and and that's that's a good quality for a leader it is one of the most important aspects and being fair don't just don't just always go to your hammer you know the guy who's always knocking a gr or girl who's always knocking it out you got to give them a break too you gotta you gotta spread the love you know on the good times and bad and uh the moral and physical courage you know the moral courage to uh tell someone above you in a higher rank you're fucked up mm. You know, in, in a respectful way, but yeah, I wholeheartedly disagree with what you're doing, and I think you're wrong. And um, you know, th that I think that moral and physical are to you can tie them in together, man. Because sometimes it does it it causes physical, you know, pain trying to you know step up and do that kind of thing. Um, but the uh, <clears throat> the physical part of courage that people mostly think of is like. Courage isn't like the lack of fear. It's the ability to act while you're in utter and terror and fear. 
Mm. You know, to go mm. through that door when you hear someone screaming because they're being stabbed, uh, you know, you can choose to stay outside and uh, try to call them out or, you know, set up a barricade, which we see how that works out around the country. No, we haven't trained like that since Columbine. The physical courage to go in and take care of business. That's. I'd say that's probably one of the most, If you know, I know it's lobbed. Uh, it's together with these four aspects, but that physical courage to do the right thing when it's absolutely terrifying, uh, man, for me, that's very high on the ladder. You know, it's, it's very yeah, I think, high. I think, I think um, the moral aspect that kind of goes hand in hand, as you said, with the physical and uh, you know, I'll, I'll step off um, from just even the job itself, but even the effects of the job where you can see the, the downward spiral of somebody because they're drinking too much or because they've been, um, I don't know, they're disengaged from their family or even disengaged from friends. And, you know, we, we know of stories of crazy stuff that has happened, you know, and we know people that have been in these things, but yet, you know, what is the courage that it takes for the friend or the person that's closest to that person to sit there and say, Hey dude, you are messed up you need help. And it's very few and far between because what I see and what I've experienced in law enforcement is that a lot of the craziness that happens, the, the moral courage isn't met. What is met is, Oh, let me do this with you. Let me enable you even more to get more messed up. Um, and, and that right there, I think is a very important aspect when it comes to just like suicide and the things that, you can prevent, you know, in our fellow, you know, law enforcement brothers and sisters, um, that, that right there, along with the physical courage, even physically to tell somebody you're fat, you're, you're obese, you need to stop drinking a whole super big gulp when you're at work, you know? Yeah. A lot of people, they don't have that. They, they can't do that um, or won't do that for whatever reason, for fear of reprisal, for fear of losing a friend or whatever the case is. And yeah. I think that's even more important. You know what I mean? So I do. I do. And like, that physical courage and the moral courage to take action saved my life, you know, um, with, the, with the issue that I had, you know, for the listeners who don't know, um, you know, my, the mother of my three children, my wife. Um, she, she passed away. She died by suicide on June 12th, 2015, <clears throat> while uh, I was at work. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a whole nother story we can talk about, but that led me down a path of self-destruction where I was drinking a bottle, a legit bottle of whiskey a day mm. for about three months, locking myself in a room, um, not being able to look at my girls in the face because they reminded me of her. And, it took the moral and physical courage of my boss to say, dude, you, you're, you're getting help. I'm sending you to this place. You're getting help. The, the, the department easily could have just thrown me away, you know, and for whatever reason at the time, they didn't. They decided not to. They, they sent me to get the help and the treatment that I needed. Mm-hmm. And the mor- moral and physical courage shown by that individual to put me where I needed to be. I learned from that. And then I was able to take that forward and <clears throat> I'd like to think help other people uh, who needed to hear something that everyone else was too much of a pussy to say something about, mm-hmm. excuse my language, but 
that's, you know, that's how I feel about it. If you're not going to say something to someone that needs help because you're either selfish and you want the next brass ring or whatever, you know, you're a pussy and you don't belong in our organization. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to have the physical more and the person who's here and, and receiving the help, you can't, you can't be so fragile that if someone tells you the truth, oh my God, you know, that person needs to be canceled or whatever, you know, it's called, you know, sometimes it's just called constructive criticism, right. but sometimes it's to save your life, even if you don't realize it. Yep. Yeah, I, I um, I commend you for even putting that out there, man. And uh, yeah, that's those are those are definitely whew, that's a that's a tough one. Um, we'll we'll move on to number nine. Sh- showmanship, a vital technique of leader of leadership. Showmanship. Yeah. When I read this one, I was like, "What? Like showmanship? Like I was Stay here, say, man." <laughs> I was, I was like, trying. hold up, showmanship. Like, we going to go out there and do a tap dance under a, a, a spotlight somewhere and singing a dance. But, you know, when I read that, bro, I was like, wait a minute, showmanship. I think that is leading by example, showing them that you've done or you can currently do what they do. Going out there and, uh, hey, you know what? I'm up on the steel plates. Get right next to me. We're going at this. Let's see who wins. Boom, 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 boom. And if you win, you know, that's big. For you, for you as a leader to see your, your true, which is why you got to train and get yourself ready, right? But if you win, and uh, you know you, that's that's a little bit of showmanship, but it shows it shows your boys and you know your your let your guys and gals that work for you or work with you, hey man, he's got the right stuff. This is the guy I want to work with or work for, or whatever their mentality is. And uh, that showmanship, it, it is vital. You know, you got to be able to show that you just don't talk the talk, that you walk the walk. Yeah. And you and I have seen. <laughs> what happens when someone only talks to talk and then they're not even good at that. Right. And they right. definitely can't walk to walk. And everyone knows they're all over here talking that they're, you know, <clears throat> uh, major Dick winners when in reality, you know, they're blithe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from band of brothers, use the band of brothers uh, reference. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and some, because probably someone didn't have the moral and physical courage to tell them you're a soup sandwich, dude, you need to fix yourself. <laughs> You know, I'll tell you a funny anecdote. Um, you know, obviously, when I left our department, and then I took kind of a hiatus doing, you know, executive protection, and then with LCPS, I came back and, you know, I started with the feds, and I went down to Fletzy. But one of the things that um, one of the things that was in my head, going into this was, man, another academy, here I am, in my 40s, you know, I've already had a career, I've already done what I've done. But yet I'm going to be in this environment where I have these these young 20 somethings out of the military uh, like we were when we started. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. full of cum, you know, yeah, young them and bigger young guns ready to do all this. And so I'm sitting there and um, one of the first and this is showmanship. Right. Like I'm not saying this was leadership. I'm just saying this was showmanship is that we did a we did a first run or first workout. And uh, this was up mm-hmm. in Maryland at, at the Fletzy there. And before that, though, there was all this talk, right? Like these guys, like one of them was like a weightlifter, you know, kind of meathead-ish type dude. Oh, I'm going to bench 500 pounds. And then this other guy who, you know, I'm going to give him a shout out because he'll probably listen to this. He'll get a kick out of it. Aquino, this guy Aquino, right, starts talking about how he does all this CrossFit stuff. And he's, you know, oh, man, I do this, you know, blah, 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 like kind of bragging about it, you know. And I'm just quiet, just listening to it. So the workout was kind of a, 
it was a circuit, but the circuit was almost a, like a, almost a mile run. And you had to do as many, a mile run to like these different circuited things. And then you get back up and do a mile run with it. And you have to do as many as you can within like the 40 minutes that they gave us. And <laughs> my mindset was, I'm going to tear this young boy up when mm -hmm. I get out there. And oh, the yeah. showmanship was, once I got out there, I went what I did. I went hard because that's just all I know. And <laughs> once I did that, though, <laughs> Brian, good shape, real good shape at the time. Took my shirt off, you know, had a, had a, didn't have the dad bod, had a six pack, you know, some packs bouncing around. And guess what? That was my way of saying. And I was, yes, I did the most of all that circuit. Yeah. But my point to doing that was, listen, you can't sit there and bitch about anything that's physical. I, here I am over my 40, over 40. And if I'm doing this to the point of being, you know, this serious about it, don't come to me with that bullshit about how you're hurt or you can't do this. You can't do <laughs> beware that. of an old man, right? <laughs> Who's thriving in what you what is usually a young man's profession. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, beware. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I had, had to set a tone. I had to set a tone. Yeah, absolutely. The same thing happened when I went to security forces school when I went to, over to the Air Force Reserve. And I was 34 at the time. And I was, you know, rocking and doing everything else with, uh, you know, 18, 19 year olds. Yeah. And they were like, look at this old man. <laughs> Well, one day we were at Camp Bullis, Texas. Uh, it's near uh, San, uh, Joint Base San Antonio, or Joint Base, um, La uh, what is that down here? Dang it, uh, Lackland. And um, uh, someone had forgot their M4 rifle at the top of the hill, just about probably like, a, I'd say 800 meters or more, like up rocky terrain yeah. at, a, at a steep angle. <laughs> yeah. And they said, oh, uh, Sergeant Gates, you need to get that, that troop to get his weapon. I was like, all right, cool. I said, you and you come with me, grab your, grab your ballistic vest, throw your vests on. We all threw our vests on. And uh, I said, grab a machine gun too. And, and I grabbed the machine gun because I knew they weren't be able to do it. And we ran up the hill. They grabbed the rim four and I said, all right, we're running back down. They were like, what? Ran back down. And I beat them both ways. But granted, I'm 34. So I'm like, what, uh, you know, 17, 16 years older than them. Right. I've already had one or two back surgeries at that point in my life. <laughs> I was hurting, but I wasn't going to let them beat me because I had to have that showmanship as an NCO to, sh to, uh, to lead by example. Yeah. I had to have that, exactly. you know, and, and it, it actually, I didn't do it to make them belittle or make them feel smaller, but to show them that if I can do it, I know you can do it exactly. And to inspire them to, to push themselves when they're hurting, when they're under, they think is their last breath. You fight until there's no more blood pumping in your veins mm. and there's no more air in your lungs and your or your computer is taken out. You never stop. And that goes for law enforcement as well. You know, yes. And, yes. and, and, and quite, quite frankly, brother, all aspects of life, yes. all aspects of life. Yes. You never stop. You never quit. No. And if, that's if going to the if going to the front. Don't work. Go to the side, you know, or find a way, find a way, make it happen. Don't yes. quit. And I if you it. fail, if the team fails as a leader. It's the leader's fault. If the team succeeds, it's the team's recognition. It's their hard work that got mm -hmm. them there. Mm -hmm. and, and leaders nowadays need to recognize that and start following that. You know what I mean? Because whenever you start pawning off team failures as it's someone else's fault, you're ineffective as a leader because they know oh, this dude is a self-servant. 
That's all he is. He cares about yeah. himself. Yep. It, yep. No, definitely agree with all that. Um, number 10, the ability to speak and write well, two essential tools of leadership, the ability to speak and write well. I'm going to tell you right now, man, these young kids don't know how to write well because they've never actually put pen to paper to anything as far as a report or even I would venture to say even their homework, their studies, you know, as far as writing, that's a lost art. Because remember when we were going through the academy, wasn't our handwriting judged? Wasn't it graded so that it can be read? Like we had to write reports by hand. I remember sitting there at at the time I was staying with my mom during the academy and I'd have to write reports. And my mom was over my shoulder screaming at me like, what is that? We can't like you can't read that your 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 handwriting at the time had to be so neat because that was a representative of how fastidious you were as an officer and how competent you were so and then on top of that the grammar and stuff like that and the mm-hmm. spelling you know we you know you had to go through an actual thesaurus to find words to put in you know or you had to use an actual dictionary to know what the word was or how to spell it um, absolutely you know and those are things now that's kind of a lost thing and then speaking you know right now i will tell you maybe Maybe for the listeners, if they've listened to my podcast since I started doing it on my own, I feel I've gotten better. And one of those things that I realized is that my speech had to get better. I I, I can't be I can't be uh um hmm well uh e ha ah, all these different sounds in order to go to the next sentence because I have to have my thoughts very clear and concise in order for the listener to be able to understand where I'm going and what I'm saying. And with you, you were in PIO. You had to be a very good speaker and you also had to be on your toes. And more than likely you had to be a good writer in order to communicate certain things for, you know, debriefs or stuff like that. Yeah. That, that, that time in PIO really put the ability to speak and write well to the test. And I had some really good mentors um uh, tell the people, people tell, were, tell them what pio public information office but tell them yeah. what that role entailed that role entailed being on 24 7 if there was an incident happening within our jurisdiction you were getting notified and you had to be ready to either push stuff out on social media or respond to the location of where it occurred and give a press briefing and not only give the press briefing set up where the press where the safest place for the press to be uh, uh, make sure that they're as, as close as they can be legally to what they wanted to report on uh, without violation, violating the First Amendment. So all those little things underneath of that, with the icing on top being being able to speak in front of a camera and to think on your toes, because but I don't know if you know this or not, but the mainstream media really, uh, they're not that friendly towards law enforcement. I didn't know if you were aware of that. <laughs> Is that a new thing? Because I, I, I yeah, don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just, I found it. <laughs> so the the weird thing one 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 instance there was an there was an uh, a deputy that was involved in a shooting, and the person expired who was attacking them with a weapon that kind of looked like a sword at the time. It ended up being something something else, uh, some type of metal, and um, uh, one one of the writers for a rag, uh, which I consider a rag newspaper and full of lies, um, <laughs> s- s- 
kept calling the person who was attacking the people and the deputy, uh, the victim, the victim. So I stopped and I said, the victim, you mean the deputy victim who was attacked? Or are you talking about the suspect who was attacking the deputy? And being able to see where he was coming from and see what he was trying to trying to spin. And for me to be able to make that correction on the fly was huge because that pretty much shut him up after that. Because he mm. knew that, you know, unlike maybe unlike most PIOs, I wasn't going to allow the demonization without due process to occur, which you and I have seen that happen within law enforcement sure. agencies, sure. especially over these last couple of years. Oh, yeah. uh, I wasn't going to allow that with whatever was in my purview and my power. I wasn't going to allow that to happen. So I had to make a point right then and there and make it clear and be articulate about it, who the actual victim was, mm. you know? So mm. yeah, speaking and writing well, absolutely essential because it paints the picture of what your team is doing. Yep. So number 11, number 11 is there is a salient difference between profanity and obscenity or obscenity. While a leader employs profanity in, in uh, parentheses, tempered with discretion, he never uses obscenities. So, so obscene, give, for you, what, what, what came to mind for you as far as this, this point in leadership? Absolutely. Yeah, so I was thinking about that earlier. Profanity would be cursing in a cursing and being a brute at the right moment. There's a time and a place to sell, instead, sir, will you please? Sometimes you got to say, drop the fucking gun. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You weren't belittling that person. You were using an, a, a, just a word that, uh, you know, strengthens your sentence. Right. But to, with obscenity, that'd be like, I don't know, uh, what you hear coming from Antifa's filthy sewers on, on police lines and the things that they're saying. To, to officers, that, that would be more of a, what obscenity is. and Or a leader in an agency, you know, motherfucking a guy to his face, you know, screaming at him and belittling him and making him feel small as opposed to giving him correction with trying to build him up. Uh, there's no place for obscenity. You know, you don't have to be obscene. Some comedians, that's all they know how to do and people think that's funny. You know, it, it takes no skills to be obscene. Right. It takes some damn good still skills to be profane and not get complained on. <laughs> that is true. That is true, man. Um, number 12, have consideration for others. I think this is one of the most important points of leadership that is lost in what I see in today's leadership is that, mm. you know, consideration has a lot to do with knowing your people. What I loved about your way of leadership and what you did just naturally is that you got to know your troops. You got to know them personally. And at the same time, in getting to know them personally, you were able to consider them as a human being and what they're going through in their life, as opposed to just considering them as a person who is sitting in a uniform or as a number for, you know, uh, making, you know, so therefore you don't have to have overtime workers, 90 staff workers on your, on your, you know, your unit. So regardless of that, but it's also considering all the holistic aspect of that individual and those people mm -hmm. that you are leading. And I always appreciated when leaders of any rank 
would take the time out to just talk to you and get to know you as a, yeah. an individual. Yeah. So on the macro, you know, we talked about teams as being a puzzle and, and everyone is a piece well, on the micro. Every piece of that puzzle is made up of even more pieces, mm. you know, and those pieces are, you know, a kid that special needs. Someone can't doesn't have enough money to get the car repaired. Who's going to take Johnny to piano practice or baseball practice or football practice? What, what have you? All those little aspects. You know, the, the overwhelming majority of law enforcement officers are really, really good, patriotic, you know, uh, love of fellow human type of people. Mm-hmm. And, and if their leadership needs to understand that and know that, hey, you know what, if we're not considering these people's personal lives, we're not going to have anyone left to treat like shit. <laughs> maybe, maybe novel idea. <laughs> we treat these people like the absolute necessary resource they are to allow society to be free and to flow the way it was intended to. Maybe we won't have all these open seats where we have, you know, 100, 200 seats open and we got 50 applicants. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we won't have to scrape the bottom of the woke barrel to get the, the, the right officers that we need. So the consideration for others, you have to love them. And by love them, I don't mean let them get away with anything. I'm talking about a good Christian love where sometimes it takes admonishment, you know, but you can admonish with love. You can correct someone with love. Truth be told, this is going to sound weird to your listeners. You can kill someone in a righteous manner and still have pity and empathy and love that person Mm. Mm. because they Mm. are someone's brother, father, mother, sister, whatever. But, you know, (laughs) consideration for others and i know it's a little bit off topic but consideration for that person as a human being is still there it's still there no matter what action you're taking right if you don't have that consideration you don't once again this is another aspect where you don't belong in this profession yeah you don't you're 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 poisoning the waters and how much poison how much how much bleach does it take to ruin a gallon of water to make oh. it undrinkable not much drop I love that because the first thing that came to mind when you talked about that, as far as killing is suicide by cop, you know, you have an officer that gets to a situation where they are forced because the person has forced them to shoot, to shoot them, to use lethal force. And I've seen videos uh, recently videos where they, the officer, they are screaming at the person I don't want to do this. I don't want to shoot you while this person is approaching them with a knife or some type of weapon. And my God, man, you know, just the, just the utter trauma that comes of that. And, and, and you're right. You know, this officer who is saying that is not saying something that is not considering the person. They're definitely considering that individual because you know, as you put it, um, who was it, Sir Robert Peel, in the first podcast that we did together, mm-hmm. you know, the people are the police and the police are the people. Absolutely. We're all in this together. You know, so why, why, how can we not consider, how can we not consider the community? Because that community could be our family members. You have to, you have to consider them. You have to consider every, each and every individual as a, you know, uh, as a child of God, as a wholesome they're, they're, they might be broken, right? Some, some of us are, you know, um, but they're a human being. You have to be considerate of them uh, up to up to the point of 
being forced to take their life. No one wants, no officer I know or I've ever worked for goes out into the street saying, today's the day I'm going to kill somebody. No, none of us want to do that ever because it's traumatizing to so many people. It's a ripple effect of pain. That's all it is. You know, good shoot or not. It's going to be very painful for everybody. Yeah. Including the officer. Number 13, yelling detracts from your dignity. Take men aside to counsel them. What's the old adage, Brian, where you praise in public? Punish in private. Yeah. Punish or you scold in private, right? 100% true. That, that I've heard that as a young Marine. And up until the last day, I, you know, I, I believed in that. Until the, and I still do, you know, up until the last day with the, with the police department, you always punish in private. There's no need to belittle somebody in, in, in front of their peers or, or in front of your, you know, or if it's a, someone of equal rank to belittle them in front of everyone because you're looking to make them, you're looking to knock them down so you look higher as opposed to you rising yourself above and doing, putting in the work. Right. To make yourself better. Um, you never, yeah, you don't want, I, I can't really think of any, any time that it's okay to belittle somebody or, or even just punish them in front of everyone. Cause it does, it makes them feel very small and you don't know what that can do to that person. You want to take them aside. You don't have to scream at somebody to punish them. You know, after roll call, you know, call them on the cell phone and say, Hey, I need you to come to the office. We need to have a discussion or whatever and just talk to them or meet them somewhere. Um, you know, and if it's, you have to put pen to paper, you have to put pen to paper, but you do it in a considerate way, consideration mm-hmm. with love for them and trying to make them a better person. Self-evaluate, help them self-evaluate, help them self-improve. Right. Yeah. By physical and moral courage. Like we talked about earlier mm-hmm. to do that as right. opposed to letting someone fall on their own sword and go, yeah, man, I look better now. No, that's not a leader. (laughs) You know, um, what is it? The, the yelling, yelling to me personifies weakness and fear and fear. Right. So Mm -hmm. there is a weakness aspect to yelling because at what point did you decide to, this is what, this is how I have to get my point across. This is how I have to, you know, make, make this thing kind of, you know, a a thing, right? Like I got to yell at the person, like even in a relationship, right? Like, and Hey, guilty is charged over here. Sometimes do you as a parent always have to yell at your child after like the fifth or sixth time that you've told them to do this one thing? No, but do we? Unfortunately, we do because we're humans and we lose our patience. Right. But you know what? You know what works even better? And I've learned this with kids or 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 with people that you're working with. If if you're in that position of leadership, they say, "You know what, man? I'm 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 not mad. I'm just disappointed." Mm. Oh, that cuts deep. I I know. I can remember my dad or mom saying that to me. (laughs) I'm just disappointed, and then they walk away, and I'm waiting for like the ass whooping to come, and it never. in, In the one or two times that it didn't come that hurt worse than me getting an ass whooping, you know, like, <laughs> Oh my God, I just disappointed my mother. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Let me <laughs> so yeah. reflect on this for, for a minute, <laughs> figure out what, what I need to do to be better. You know? Yeah, no, for real. Um, number 14, we're almost done here, man. Number 14, mm-hmm. understand and use judgment. Know when to stop fighting for something you believe is right. 
discuss and argue your point of view until a decision is made and then support the decision wholeheartedly. How hard do you think that is when you know you're right, you know that this cause, this thing is is right and righteous, but yet, you know, you have to let it go in order for the mission to, you know, keep going. Um, have you ever had this instance happen professionally or personally? Professionally, it happened every day almost <laughs> uh, for the last couple of years. Um, and it was, you know, usually with an individual sitting in a chair um, in a building where they were making operational decisions as the first commander rank, um, where they would uh, uh, tell us, hey, you need to do this or that. And it didn't really coincide with, with SOPs or uh, with, you know, state, or state code or county code. And a lot of times you had to have your ducks in a row and say, well, this is the actual county code. This is what it says. And I'm telling you, we can't do that. Um, and then if there was something that was a little bit more gray in nature where we probably shouldn't be doing it, well, well, you're doing it mm. because basically their, you know, their, their color of brass on their collar, you know, was a different color than mine and a higher rank than mine. And I, so after that conversation was over and even though, you know, I would let them know that I felt it wasn't correct and I felt it was improper, um, you know, when the phone hung up, that was the order. And as long as it wasn't immoral, you know, unrighteous or unlawful, we did it. And once again, I made lemonade, lemonade from the lemons we were given. And, you know, sometimes that dude that, or girl who had to take that mission on, when they got back from whatever it is they did, I sent them home a couple hours early. No leave card needed. Just go home because that was a shitty situation. You shouldn't have to deal with, you know, obviously I'm not telling them this, but it was a shitty situation that they didn't have to deal with, but they dealt with it because of piss poor management of certain people. Um, and I would fight the good fight, but sometimes you got to pick and choose the hill you want to die on. Yeah. And, you know, you got to know when it is to stop discussing it with them and, you know, carry out the orders of the day. Um, as as wrong as they may seem. Um, but once the decision is made, you have to, you have to support it or else team integrity will just fall apart. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, last one, man. And I'm pretty sure you, you are, you exemplify this in certain ways. <laughs> Stay ahead of your boss. What's so important about that in leadership? Staying ahead of your boss. So I look at it at, that as if you see a problem that's coming down the pike, you know, make your boss informed about it. And even if you, before you inform them, take corrective action if it's within your purview to do so. So when you go to them, you don't want to have you don't want to have commanders have situational blindness where they get blindsided. If you see something coming, handle it, have the moral courage to do it, figure it out, make it right, and then go to the commander when appropriate and tell them, hey, look, this is what was happening. This is what we did. I wanted you to know, you know, I cleaned this up for you. Boom, hand it to him on a platter. That's good leader. That's leading up. Um, staying now, if you have a bad boss, staying ahead of your boss is if you see the landmines he or she is laying down, take a take a different route to get you to the same <laughs> goal. And that's in a nutshell what I got to say about that with staying ahead of your boss because that could be for good. You know, if you got a good boss, take care of them, or if you have a bad boss, uh, you know, still completing the mission, uh, but doing it in a way that's not going to have your troops stepping on landmines that their their commander has laid out for them 
you know, you know, one of the things that comes up for me with that is knowing the personality of your boss, because there are people, there are bosses, we all have egos, but bosses in a lot of ways have very big egos and they have different ways of how you can massage that ego in order to get what it is that you want for your troops. And I think a lot of times you can do that and be ahead of your boss because you understand if I go and do this or say this, this is how I'm going to present it. And there were bosses that I had that I had to present stuff as if it was their idea. And so, you know, a suggestion or maybe, you know, somewhat massage the message to where they're like, oh, like, you know, maybe that's how they would have said it. You know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. then it, 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 it kind of rolls downhill in the sense that they take the credit. They feel like they're the ones that did it. They're the ones that had this grandiose idea or thing. But it, all in all, it came from you. But yet it was also coming from you in order to help your people at the same time uh, you're being the conduit as a leader you're being a conduit with, with upper upper management and with your troops yeah and and having that that information flow and that mission flow going back and forth through you it's a big responsibility and that's why i think still think to this day that first line supervision is the backbone of getting things done um sure the troops you know carry the carry the heavier weight but as far as doing the uh, physically doing the mission but that mission can't get accomplished in the most uh, hmm, with, uh, most uh, efficient manner without mm -hmm. a good first line supervisor, you know, interpreting com commander's intent to the troops and the troops, what they want to confer to, or, uh, you know, convey to the commander, you know, it's a big responsibility and these young guys doing it now in today's world, man, I, I give them all the credit and hopefully they're out there doing it for the right reasons with righteous intent. And taking care of their people and also taking care of their bosses you know yeah. leading up yeah well brian listen man we've been here about an hour and a half going on one of the things that um you know you were on the you were on the earlier the very first podcast where i interviewed a guest a it's an honor b i wanted to put people towards that it was a leadership um chasing the brass ring so go listen to it I think Brian, your name was not Brian in that one. I think yeah. I think it was Stan, but Powerful. obviously that was for operational reasons. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but now, you know, here you are, post-life, post-law enforcement, you know, private sector. I want you to take about, you know, a minute or two and reflect or whatever lessons learned and what can you give to those that are about to retire? What can you give to those that are younger in the profession? And what can you give to those that are still seeking something and they're already done with the profession? Sure. So to those, we'll start uh, youngest to oldest, right? So the, yep. the, the young guys and girls out there still humping it, still doing their thing. Look, it is still a noble profession and it always will be. You're a modern day paladin. You're a modern day knight. You carry your shield with honor and you'll be okay. You're going to hit bumps and bruises along the way, but have the moral and physical courage to do the right thing at all times. And you're going to make it. And you're going to make some of the best friends of your life. And you're going to see some stuff that other people uh, couldn't fathom. But keep your head, keep your head up, keep your nose clean. To the guys that are, you know, midway through their career, um, don't let the um, 
the negativity eat at you because you still want to make it to your 20 or your 25. Find an outlet, work out, hunt, hike, find something outside of law enforcement to get you through to your to the end of your career, to get you through that into the twilight of your life to live and be happy. Um, don't get eat, eaten up with this, with this, all the bullshit, all the administrative bullshit that, that, that we all come to recognize around year 10. Uh, to the old, to the guys at the end of their career, keep marching on, get to where you want to get. And if 20 or 22, if you can't make it to the 25, like I did and just do 22 for your, for your own physical well-being, your mental well-being, there's life after that. I mean, I'm working right now in the private sector and it's not law enforcement related. And I'm as happy as I've been in many, many years. There is light at the end of the tunnel and I plan on uh, living a full, happy, retirement life yeah you know i'm out here in out here in the mountains doing what i want to do now and it's all because i persevered to make it as far as i could make it that being said take care of each other love each other have the confidence to speak up when something ain't right and always lead up and if you're a leader you just got to take care of your people and love them and be that conduit of information between the commanders and, and the troops <laughs> And I just got to say, God bless you all that do it, Merrick. God bless you and, and your endeavors. Please stay safe. It's more dangerous now than ever for law enforcement in this country. And I don't see it getting any better anytime soon, at least within the next five years. Mm. So you guys have really got an important, important mission. And I'm going to tell you this, too. The 95% of the American citizens out there love you, want you, and need you to be on that line, regardless of what upper management does and, and their crazy leftist policies or, you know, which is, which is eroding the, the law enforcement community, uh, things will get better eventually. That's, and and you know, we need you. America needs you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Brian Gatos. I appreciate it, man. Love you much, brother. Thank Love you, you so bro. much for everything, man. And uh, yeah, man, that's it. Appreciate you cool. coming on.